Hey guys, I'm Brenna O'Malley. I'm a registered dietitian and creator of The Wellful, and you're listening to The Wellful Podcast, the show where we're featuring exciting and inspiring conversations with the people behind the brands that are changing the food and wellness landscape. Whether they're creating their own food company, bringing in-person connection to an online world, or building the best gym in Bermuda, these entrepreneurs and innovators are sharing their story of how they got to where they are and where they're going next. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's Women in Wellness podcast by The Wellful. Today we're chatting with Jackie London, who is a registered dietitian and the nutrition director at Good Housekeeping, and she's also the very recent author of her first book, Dressing on the Side and Other Diet Myths Debunked. I'm so excited to chat with Jackie, and we're actually doing a giveaway of one of her very own books on Instagram today. So if you listen to this episode and love it, like I hope that you will, then you can go and enter to win a free copy of her book to learn even more. A little bit of background on Jackie. She earned her undergraduate degree from Northwestern University and then briefly worked in beauty and lifestyle PR before heading back to school to complete her Master of Science degree in clinical nutrition from New York University. And then before working at Good Housekeeping, she was actually the senior clinical dietitian at Mount Sinai Hospital and her current role as nutrition director of Good Housekeeping. Jackie writes and reports on nutrition news, myths, and trends and oversees taste tests and reviews of all food products interested in earning the Good Housekeeping seal. Jackie is also a regular expert on the Dr. Oz show, Today Show, and widely quoted in the media, and I can't wait to share this episode with you. So welcome Jackie to the Women in Wellness podcast and let's jump into it. You went to school originally um, not studying nutrition and then went back to school for your master's after working a little bit in PR. Yes. So what made you want to go back for your master's that got you interested in nutrition? So I was a dance major in college, which sounds a little bit like it would have almost nothing to do with nutrition, but it also has everything to do with nutrition. And it was just not really at the time part of the curriculum where I went to school and it felt like, you know, we took anatomy and kinesiology, we had to understand kind of basics of of human biology and very, very basic. I mean, I I was afraid of real science courses (laughs) as as an undergrad, which in retrospect was so silly because I wound up loving all of the science classes in grad school. But I had this weird moment when I on I think it was like the day before my graduation where I was like, God, I really want to be a dietitian. Like I, it had always kind of been in the back of my mind, but the idea of kind of bringing to life a little bit of the internal, like what you put in your body mm-hmm. and what you are in the world and how you move and how you act and how that kind of food fuels all of the activities of your everyday life. That was really exciting and interesting to me. Of course, when I, but at that point, you know, it's such an, it's so weird thinking about it now that, I was 22 graduating and that at the time I thought, well, it's kind of too late Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because when I graduated, I thought, I thought I had done so much work in internships and, you know, securing internships and looking for internships and all of the many things that I had done kind of leading up to that to really get me into a communications field that I thought I can't do this now. Um, And also I couldn't do that now because I would have had to apply already. So I wound up starting a job in PR that was in, you know, right when the recession hit. And it was, it was just terrifying. Every day was sort of 
everyone was afraid all the time. It was like a real fear culture in, mm-hmm. in that sense. And also it just, it was not, it just wasn't right for, it was really, you know, I'm so grateful for the experience actually, because I feel like it really taught me about doing the work, doing the, the, the hard work that really seems exceptionally easy, but it isn't because it's often physical <laughs> labor <laughs> or it's like, you know, I, I mean, it just was really like a difficult culture. It was a hard time to be in any type of media related industry. I mean, there were tons of media layoffs at the time. So I always had this interest in media, but I really wanted to pursue this career in dietetics and it seemed like the right time. I wound up getting admitted to NYU sort of I think my, I submitted the application on the last possible day at the last possible hour. So sort of like a, a moment of I've got to do this if I want to get this going. Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of went from there. So I really, during my time at NYU, I would say that was probably, that was 2009 to the early 2012, if not the end of 2011, but I graduated in January. Um it was just amazing. I loved every minute of it. I mean, it was brutal. It, it was brutal, like, yeah, as you know. Yeah. I mean, it was it was not easy, but it was so fulfilling and so clear that this would that this was the right thing for me to be doing at the time. Um, and then I I did my dietetic internship at Mount Sinai mm-hmm. and was hired out of my internship. So I started working right away. Awesome. I had to have my notes co-signed at the beginning. <laughs> Um, and I loved that so much too. I really like, I had an amazing clinical experience. I think there, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this. I really feel so strongly being in my role now that my clinical background helps me every single day. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, and I know that there's a lot of dietitians who disagree with that or who feel like they just didn't get that out of clinical. And I completely respect that and understand it. Um, but my, my personal role in clinical nutrition at Mount Sinai at the time that I was there was everything that I needed in order to kind of get ready for for my role now. Right, right. I feel like that's such an important piece too, especially like being in media is being able to understand and explain what the science is, which kind of leads into you went from very clinical position at Mount Sinai to good housekeeping. Yes. So how did that transition go? So when in my last kind of, I would say, year at Sinai, I was doing a lot of the media sort of correspondence or like, I guess you would call it like the media spokesperson or point person to to do any kind of related, some TV, a little bit of TV, a little bit of, um, or a ton of like contributing to articles. And mm-hmm. I found myself, you know, when I would be asked by a writer to to contribute or to give a quote or to give a comment, I would find myself like really writing it out. And I was sort of in the habit of doing that. So it when I when this opportunity kind of came up, it did not feel like a leap. And at the same time felt like a huge leap, if that makes any sense. It just yeah. felt like the types of actual work that I would be doing would be very similar to a day-to-day, given that probably every week at a certain point I was working on something with a writer. Um, But I... But it really gave me the opportunity, like having, first of all, the thing that's so luxurious about the hospital, which is like, who has ever said that? The the luxurious thing about a hospital. (laughs) But, um, But 
what was really luxurious was having the unlim- unlimited database access yes. and the constant up-to-date access like so you have so many resources at right, the hospital right. which you kind of take for granted when you leave because all of a sudden I can only see an abstract sometimes well now I, I you know I've found ways around that but when I first <laughs> when I first left I was like what do you mean I can only see this abstract <laughs> like, yeah. that's not gonna cut it right. like and and I would get some pushback from people who were like, well, that's fine. You have everything. And I was like, no, no, I don't have everything. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, so I wound up, um, I wound up subscribing to, I mean, there's a number of different ways that, that I have found ways around this now, but it, but it's fascinating to think that it really is about like that kind of studying up, getting the background information, getting everything that you need and being able to read enough studies to then form an opinion about a topic. And I think that's something about the profession that's really taken for granted by those who are not in it or don't have an understanding of that piece of it, which is that we're not making recommendations because we personally feel like it or right. because, you know, and sometimes we are and that can be really beneficial, but that's more on a one-to-one kind of counseling basis. Right. It's more about the idea of consensus versus, you know, controversial outcome or, or you know, some new type of breaking research that then you get into the actual, you know, the actual introduction of a study and you're like, this was mice? Why didn't they say that? And, you know, why didn't the abstract really explicitly say that so there there's so much of that that I feel like I use now but anyway I I wound up being referred by uh, another dietitian a friend of mine um and had just sort of passed along my name and the my former boss um the director of the Good Housekeeping Institute reached out to me via LinkedIn, which I'm now a little embarrassed about because my LinkedIn profile at the time, first of all, today it's still not great. It's still not great. At the time, it was nothing. Like, it was bare bones. I'm I, To the fact that I was able to, to get in for an interview was quite lucky. But I, <laughs> I went in for a first interview with her, um, and I did a massive edit test, which... Um, of course, I got, you know, like really deeply involved in for the total of 48 hours. I think I was like really caffeinated. I mean, really, really caffeinated. And then, um, and then, yeah, then that was it. That was sort of, we went from there. But it was, it was really, it was really terrifying because it was the product aspect of, of my job has evolved and also become very much, you know, it's constantly evolving is sort of the better way to say that. Like it kind of moves with different trends. It comes from all areas. There's this sort of the the being, I wasn't used to being pitched on ideas or um, or products or article topics or things like that. And mm-hmm. there's, it's really clear to me now where so many myths come from. And a lot of it, The thing that I think is like the most impactful takeaway from the whole experience or or my experience to date really is that food, there's this kind of myth among dietetics professionals and, and otherwise, like, and lots of consumers that food companies are out to harm people or or that, you know, and that's not, that's, I don't mean to generalize that. Like, that's obviously not true of everyone, but there's a lot of people who really strongly feel like, oh, well, that's that's total garbage and you're, you know, these are marketed to you as healthy, but they're, you know, these are bad people doing bad things. And I feel like 
wouldn't we be lucky if that were the case? Like, these are not bad people doing bad things. These are people doing a job and really believing in what they're saying sometimes it's not because of an intention to harm people. It's because of a lack of real depth of knowledge about a specific topic. And like, of course, we can always look at two different studies and say, well, both of these could be right, right? But it's sort yeah. of like where that's where the clinical judgment comes in. And, and I think that's missing. That's sort of the missing piece of like the clinical judgment of where does this fit in your day and what shelf should it really be on if it's at the grocery store like we were talking about. Right. You know, I mean, what's there's absolutely nothing wrong with breakfast cereal, but why is it breakfast? Like, yeah, this is a treat. It's not breakfast. You know what I mean? Like there are mm -hmm. certain things like that that I think have just gotten out of control with the the marketing, the positioning, the placement in the supermarket. Those are things that that we don't really realize play such a big role. And and the intention is good. I just don't the execution winds up being something that gets missed. Right. I think it's so interesting. I remember the first time I realized that food products are made by people often with no background right. in food or right. nutrition, right. which isn't a bad thing. It's like a very creative right. outlet, but I think it was kind of like, oh, right. like that is such an interesting I thing know. to realize. But then I feel like that is really interesting if you want to talk about like your role at Good Housekeeping, yeah. maybe like day to day. I'm sure there's no typical oh, day, God. but yeah. kind of because it ends up being that like you are kind of able to be that voice who is definitely educated and an expert in it that can kind of like help other people navigate yeah. these yeah. food products. Yeah, so that's where, that's again where I think that the clinical background, and and I I also did some work in private practice when I was at time I was going at night to counsel privately. And I feel like the thing that really grounds me is I, there's so many patients that are unforgettable to me. I worked in the brain injury rehab unit, so a lot of these people were, were kind of long-term stay individuals, so they would be there for a while. So there's a lot of patients that I remember very vividly. There's, there's also just the experience itself is a little bit like, this is reality. Mm -hmm. This is how people eat. So that being the barometer for or my rubric for kind of understanding i know how people eat i know how i would like for them to eat and where can we compromise is kind of like where i come to a recommendation when it comes to to products and looking at products and and thinking about products and trying products and <laughs> and you know laughing at some of the claims on food products because sometimes they're really hilarious yeah <laughs> But, um, but I, so yeah, so my day to day is never the same. Um, but a lot of what I do is, is for the print magazine and also for our digital team. So I will create content for digital, um, kind of looking both at trends, but also things that are topical, then sometimes some long form articles. So, um, and things that are important for us for search value, um, things like that are always stories that are, are coming up for me. But I would say that my greatest, like, I love being able to write about topics that are, are really important 
to me. Like I, I recently wrote about willpower and, and, you know, adapted from dressing on the side a little bit because I feel like this time of year, especially people get really caught up in this kind of idea of I'm not strong enough to do this. I can't do this. I'm not enough, like in order to make changes to their health or to lose weight at all. And so that's, those are the types of things that I'll that will take a little bit longer, but that I'm really more passionate about doing on a day to day. Um, I find myself also unpacking a lot of boxes of product, <laughs> which is really fun and a nice little way to give your brain a, a break in the middle of the day. So that's a day to day. Um, I yeah, we we get so many different food products because I you know we we're in a, a shared space and mm -hmm. so I'm working with other people who touch food, kitchen appliances, um, our culinary director, our food, our test kitchen, um, and I work closely with them. Also, our test kitchen um, does the the testing, the recipe testing for all of the lifestyle magazines. So I'll work with them on specific stories about um, anything with a health-related bent, anything with a uh, um a specific nutrient goal that will be that's really where the meat and potatoes comes in if you will <laughs> excuse the pun um and and then i oversee the good housekeeping seal on food products um and and i initiated the this program that we now have which is the good housekeeping nutritionist approved program um which is sort of made to be made to stand for products in the food space that make it easier to make a better for you choice in a category. Mm -hmm. So things that, and, and really base that on not only the nutrition facts label and the ingredients list, but also be able to base that off of how does this simplify a process that people have expressed to me is a barrier for them making behavior change. So like right. my best example is something like um, I don't eat vegetables because I can't chop all that like when I get home from work. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have time for that. That's the type of thing that I that is a perfect moment for the emblem. So one of one of the products that we launched with was a um, a blended salad mix, like a pre-bagged salad yeah. mix. So that's the type of thing like where can we make it easier to make a better for you choice in any given moment of your life so that you can build better habits that actually stick. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's most of it. I'm trying to see if I've forgotten anything. Then there's always the meetings. There's lots of meetings. <laughs> we love to meet. <laughs> um, and like planning for upcoming, um, features, stories, segments, uh, things that kind of pop up random. We do a lot of, um, we have a lot of events going on in the tower at the moment. So like there's always some, some type of kind of meet and greet or moment to talk to people. I know we were just talking about how constant communication is <laughs> both good and yeah, terrible important. at the same time. Right. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's tough to find solitude, but that's mm -hmm. kind of great. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's so cool how diverse and definitely non not what someone would think of when you say that you're a dietitian. Like totally. Something that you've kind of created more and like expanded and have like a really diverse like reach and role. Right, right. And so before you came into the role, was there another dietitian there? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes, she's like my big sister now, Samantha Cassidy. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, but she had left um 
a number of months before okay. before I got there. I feel like if someone heard about what you do, they yeah. might say something like, okay, that is my dream job, you know, like working for a major magazine, involved in nutrition, involved in food brands. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who is either studying nutrition or not quite, but kind of wants to make their role something yeah. like yours or has a dream job? Like, what do you think were some of the key things that helped you get to where you are and like be successful? So I would... So I would say for anyone who's currently in the dietetics fields or studying nutrition, um, I would say start with the science. Like, because I always come back to the science. I am looking at the same studies that we are all looking at. Like, I am always keeping tabs on, you know, what's happening in consumer research as well as what's happening in clinical and epidemiological research. All of that is really important to my day-to-day. -day. So I would say my advice would be to give give it a year in a clinical field, um, whether that means you're working at a clinic or you're working inpatient. Or, and that's a highly biased opinion because I have done it, but I would say that I just – I don't feel like I would have the kind of legs to be able to make a judgment call as readily. And by the way, I say this with the full disclosure that when I first started at Good Housekeeping, I was, I felt like, God, you know, I mean, there would be certain topics that I would be pitched over and over again at the time in 2014, I was constantly being pitched about coconut oil and turmeric. <laughs> What has changed? And what has changed? <laughs> and here we are four years later and right. what's changed? Um, but it was it was so funny because I was like, God, I've really thought I'd poured over this research. Am I missing something? You know, I mean, it's mm -hmm. first of all, you have to consider the fact that 90% of dietitians are women. So I'm already, you know, about to just kind of want to just scream about the idea that we have, that we are already a profession that, that by nature of who we are, is taught to kind of think in a more broad sense or or as opposed to, can you imagine if 90% of dietitians were male, this would be like, well, you're wrong. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, I mean, like we, we sort of we sort of go into this thing that I, I am actively trying to help fix that I want us to fix as a profession, but also just as a gender mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that we are a lot of us are taught to kind of second guess or, or be deferential or be polite rather than saying, no, but that's incorrect. Like, right. Where, so there's a, there was a little bit of that moment of being like, I'm not totally sure that I'm right. I have to check the research on this. I, I actively remember asking a number of former colleagues at Mount Sinai for the full study on certain things related to char activated charcoal and oh clay. Gosh. And I'm like, why are we eating art supplies? Like, I, why is that interesting to people? <laughs> but the truth is that it's not. But when this is how these things start, right, mm -hmm. is that is it you get to hear enough of a you get to volume high enough to hear this as like a siren call almost of like, this is important. You should know about this, or and you you have this kind of second guessing moment. Um, but ultimately, after reviewing everything that I had already known to be true, right. you're you wind up in the same place of no, absolutely not. And this is my role <laughs> is to say no, right. um, which kind of makes you a bit of a drag sometimes when you're like. <laughs> 
you know, because you do, you feel a little bit like, I don't want to be, I'm not here to be the food police. I'm just here to say that your vegan, gluten-free, raw, paleo granola, it has 26 grams of sugar per one quarter cup. And I feel like agave nectar is still sugar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like that's the, that's the type of right. thing that, that is is can be seductive at first but that really the practice of it is what builds confidence in it so um that's ultimately what it comes back to so i would really say that having that research background is the most important having the clinical experience and the access to real life people who are at from all walks of life right i mm -hmm. mean you could be in a hospital and seeing someone who just had a knee replacement or you could be seeing someone with stage four cancer and there's being able to have that broad experience and really get in there and understand the various degrees and various life stages that play a role in people's food-related decisions is crucial. Um, and then on top of that, I would say take every experience you have to create content and, and do that more often. That said, I know how hard that is because I often feel like that's something that's a little bit difficult, more difficult for us than it is for people whose sole job is to create content. But for us, we have so much homework on the back end because we right. don't want to ever say something that we know would be professionally risky or would damage the credential or have any kind of negative stigma or be or even be said in a nuanced way that could be offensive to anyone. Right. So there's a there's a whole lot that goes on the back end. So I would say take those opportunities that you feel like are really meaningful to you to create content. I would revise it that way. <laughs> Definitely. And it's so much so tempting to just or so easy seeming to write a totally sensationalist right. article. Right. With kind of like that skims the surface. Yeah. Without, you know, and I feel like that's what goes viral and it's right. very tricky. But oh, yeah. Yeah. There's so <laughs> And there's so much of that. And I, yeah. you know, I'm all about the idea of trying alternative therapies and trying, you know, what might work for you does not necessarily work for other people. And, and that everything about nutrition is really hyper individualized. But mm -hmm. I think we've sort of, I think we've allowed or we've sort of seen this trend of hyper individualized doesn't have to mean your individual DNA of your gut microbiome. Like it doesn't have to be that, that serious mm -hmm. almost like it almost has to be more hyper individualized meaning what works for you in your current day to day how do you spend your time what are the things you like to do those are the things that really inform your food decisions ultimately right. you know there's this kind of tendency to overthink it and to to be really precision medicine about the the way to structure your day or to think about nutrition and that certainly has a place that certainly has a moment and and it's it's on the way, you know, mm -hmm. where the research is ongoing. But I think for most people who are currently healthy and just want to make better food choices or, or feel better about their bodies and their state of health and feel confident about the food choices that they make, I feel like there is a little bit of a tendency to over to overthink and the overthinking comes from a lot of the claims on packaging a lot of the the things that we read everywhere instagram pinterest facebook <laughs> twitter every social media platform um that that really feeds into it now yeah definitely and i love getting to your book yes. dressing on the side Yay. and other diet myths debunked um i feel like you do such a great job of 
both going into the research and what's realistic and that it's individualized and yeah. so many other factors that influence our choices around food, our feelings around food, like the yeah. information we're getting, which is right. basically way too much. Way too much. <laughs> and way all at too once. much and, and all at once is in right. In so many different ways. Yeah. And it's, and so much of it conflicts and all of it can be right is sort of the bottom line is like, yeah. but this one study and you know, there, there, I hear that a lot or I hear, um, you know, I, I think, I think it can be really best summarized with the, the kind of time honored saying of the dose makes the poison like we can say that anything is great in in a balanced diet that works for you it's mm -hmm. so it's so unsexy sounding you know like that's such a sad way of putting it but it really is ultimately like the bottom line of you know and obviously dressing on the side has so many specifics but this is if i were to kind of get to the root of it that going overboard on anything can lead to chronic disease going under on anything can lead to chronic disease like <laughs> like we just have to find the kind of the the ideal choices that really feed into the fuel that makes up our lifestyles and the mm -hmm. type of life that we want to live and i think i think what's fascinating to me is that when we see a lot of articles, let's say online, or we see content on social media, there's a lot of this like linked to chronic disease, which could be for depending on who's reading this could be decades out, right? So when you would be at risk for something is decades from now. When we read other types of content, we'll see things that are more like about the right now, like crush cravings and, you know, stop yourself from walk away from your plate or the, or some of these old kind of diet tips that are like pour salt on your dessert. So you stop eating it. It's like, oh God. we have not, right. <laughs> it's like, in addition to completely losing this sense of what is hunger versus satiety, mm -hmm. we've also come to this way of speaking about food that is either immediate or long-term. And neither of those are really thinking about what your average day looks like, what your week looks like, what your month looks like, you know? So right. I, I think that we have this tendency to think more about right now versus, okay, but what am I doing two hours from now? Is this gonna help me do that? Because if I just wanna fall asleep on the sofa after I eat whatever it is, mm -hmm. then that's not right for you right now if you have to go back to work. You know, like that right. that's sort of like the mentality that I want, that I think this book is is encouraging for people to think more about what makes up the everyday? Why have you felt confused or tripped up or like you like weight loss or behavior change or better health is just not possible for you? Clear those up first mm -hmm. and then get into what to actually do. So the first half of the book is really about like the cleaning up the whole mess that's been made by what I call the information jungle. Yeah. Um, and then the second half of the book is really like the tangible tips. How does this play out in real life? Where are you going? What are you doing? Are you traveling? Are you working? Are you not working right now? What do you want to be doing, you know, this moment and this week and this year? So it kind of like goes into more of the lifestyle related factors that affect the way we eat. I think we don't think enough about the when um, yeah. or where we are mm -hmm. when we're eating. And rather we think more about the what is it? Is it good for you? Right. Is it does it have calories? Like yeah, so much. And like, that. I actually love that whole question of like the 
the what, like what I ate Wednesdays. Like right. I have, I've been doing like why I ate Wednesdays. Yes. I feel like we don't talk about the right. why either. Right. Right. Yeah. Completely. Completely. Um, yeah. I I also have found myself taking taking some of the like really more. I mean, you know, some of these tips are really based on things that have worked for lots of of clients of mine, but they're also things that that I personally use. But the one that I have found myself sort of laughing at myself over is the breakfast in two parts. Is that mm-hmm. I for sure don't have a traditional breakfast anymore, but that's okay. I still have a breakfast. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of rethinking the way that that we think about meals. Like they don't have to look like, you know, a, a commercial from the '90s. Like right. these our our breakfasts can be totally messy hectic and consumed with one hand while we're holding a subway pole but we don't have to but they don't have to be they don't have to lack nutrient quality right you know it doesn't always have to be one or the other yeah no I also thought it was so I feel like sometimes when you're reading a diet book or nutrition if you're not as interested as both yeah. of us are in it yeah. even or it can be really dry but I right. love like you have so many movie references, I, I do so many like good jokes, and <laughs> but just things that make you kind of remember and relate to it, and kind of like keep engaged, and that you're like that this is a book for you, not right. just not just another like spilling of tons and tons oh, and tons totally. of facts, but just like applicable, relatable. Totally. Yeah, I was so keen on not having a meal plan in this, mm-hmm. and and I think that that is the book's biggest strength almost is that it's not this is not meant to be a traditional diet book this is meant to help give you options and choices and empower you to make those choices rather than feeling like you have to stick to rules um and I love recipes I love cooking recipes but there's so many recipes out there that I want you to feel to get to the place where you feel confident enough to play around with the ones you already like or play around with the thing with the ingredients and the the food items that you know you would like to taste but you know feel like you can do that within your new framework which is better suited to you personally right right so um so yeah so I'm really excited I also I'm I'm really excited about chapter 10 which is the I think chapter 10 is the travel related chapter mm-hmm. but I I really find that my biggest questions now from from people who work at all for a living <laughs> is that you wind up having to travel so much and yeah. travel sometimes is not just getting on an airplane to Europe like travel can mean your two-hour commute mm-hmm. or you know doing something that is taking time where you may have to have a meal in transit or a snack or you should definitely have some snacks on you because what if Right. You were to sit on a train for, you know, eight hours and get stuck or whatever. it. I mean, there's so many moments where we get confused or caught up in in the what I call in the book the boundary bullies or mm-hmm. like have these moments of thinking, you know, what what I, this is what I should have or right. the the kind of distortions of like what we should be doing in a given moment. Whereas if we had just prepared a little bit in advance, we would know we would be ready um, for any kind of moment that would pop up for any kind of boundary bully that would pop up out of nowhere. Right. But the travel one is is really unique. And I think, you know, we travel for many reasons, but a lot of us travel for work. And there's that really seems to mess people up, not just because of what to eat when you're there, but also what to eat in transit and then how 
a travel schedule can mess with your body and mess with your whole schedule. Right. So like your sleep schedule, your your exercise schedule, everything that plays that feeds into your food choices, all of these things are so important. Your hydration, like all of that get can be derailed by just a week of travel. And we don't think about that enough and, and sort of talk about that enough. So I feel like that is um, that was really important to me with the book. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like sometimes there's this assumption of, well, I'm traveling next week, so right. I'm going to blow it anyway. Totally. Or like that there's no possible totally. way to do it, like very black and white. And yeah. I feel like it's also, I don't know if this is in the same chapter, but your guides of like eating yes. out different cuisines yeah. and like things of like to look for when you're ordering or just that it's not, um, it's just not so black and white basically. Right. And that you can make these choices with all of this information that you have in here right. and just kind of feel like you can better navigate it for yourself at that time. Right, right. Um, I I have this one piece of the book that is about the empowering screw it to be a decision, um, which is the idea that that sometimes you just need to say that. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with being like, whatever, screw it, I'm having this insert name of something that feels particularly heavy or indulgent or like you're going to go into a food coma afterwards to you. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like getting people to the point where you can identify whether or not that's something you really want right now, or if it's a flavor that you want of the particular food item you're thinking about, or if you really want to say, yeah, I'm going for this and, and let that be okay for you is really the only way we make long-term behavior change actually successful and, and really get to a point where we feel good about our food choices, but also good about our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think that gets lost, but I was, I was reminded of that with the food guides because I, I feel like, or the ordering guides, really food guide reminds me of the food guide pyramid. Right. Definitely ordering guides. <laughs> ordering guides, right. Yeah. Like takeout versus in the restaurant versus, you know, how at does home. exactly at home and, and how does um, alcohol and drinking play a role in any of this? And can you be a person and live in the world while also being able to enjoy your life holistically, you know, and actually feel like you can make health promoting choices in the moment, but also not feel like you're going to just kind of eat the contents of the of the bar nuts that are mm-hmm. <laughs> or right. like or like you're gonna have to, you know, well, whatever, if I'm going out tonight, then I'm definitely ordering pizza late night, late night. Like that's the kind of mentality that's like really stems from what we, our main takeaways of the all or nothing thinking, right? Like either we're being good or we're being bad. And like that, the value judgment, the, the assessment of good versus bad versus if I'm going out, I can't do X. Like we don't live life that way way for the long term. If Mm -hmm. we want to really do this for life, then we have to make habits and make the choices that support those habits over the course of time. Because, you know, I hope we all live to be very old. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, there's there's so much of that shame triggering and that that really deep isolating feeling when you feel like you can't Like you have no idea where to start. You have no, you're totally paralyzed. You feel like there's no way that you can actually take control of your weight or your health and you just don't know what to do. So that's when screw it is not an empowered decision. You know, it's more about the like, when screw it is is an empowered decision is when you feel like you're in the driver's seat when it comes to your food choices. 
Yeah, I love that. Writing a book. Is yeah. This, is this your first book? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so what was it like kind of in your role at Good Housekeeping and all the experiences that you've had? You've, I'm sure, have like read a lot of books and different done reports and different diet books and kind of know the industry so well. So when you were creating your own one, even just knowing what it's like to be yeah. on like the Today Show or Dr. Oz or something yeah. and how people pitch and report on these books or that we get these snippets of information, right. how did how was that like when you were writing your own book? Oh, God. It's so... <laughs> it's such a tough question because... But it's such a great question because I feel like... I was really keen on, first of all, not having the word diet be on the cover unless it was like in some kind of disparaging way. Like, <laughs> but I was keen on not having that be a part of it. I was also keen on the idea of it not being directly a cookbook. Like I wanted this to be a lifestyle behavior change book, which is really not just our meat and potatoes in the industry. I've used that expression twice now, by the way. I just want to call your attention to that. <laughs> but like, you know, I mean, but that's not just, that's not just the profession. It's also like really my best skill is, is being able to sit with people and to talk to them about what they feel like are their personal barriers to change and working through those things and working through the kind of life-related moments that get in the way of making those changes. So I felt like it was really important to go through these kind of main buckets of like, what are the, the main problems that I hear the most often? So it was fascinating to get to receive pitches and to, to receive galleys at the same time as kind of thinking about, oh, good, well, that's another, <laughs> that's something I should consider adding into the chapter where I'm debunking all these wellness trends, like all of mm -hmm. like that sort of thing. That's, that was, it was very helpful to be sort of on the ground and in the weeds in terms, I mean, that those are like conflicting metaphors, but it was really helpful to, to sort of have my current role because it really gives you a window into what is what are people talking about right now? Where do I see that going for the next few months while I continue to write? And what do I want this to say at the time I want to say it? So it, it was definitely helpful to have that kind of access. At the same time, I would truly never recommend anyone who has a, a, an aggressive schedule. <laughs> a full-time job, write a book at the same time and expect to ever sleep or live life normally. I mean, you know, I I have this I have this kind of paragraph at the at the very end of the book where I talk about how your life circumstances change and so you have to make food choices that adapt to that and so I was truly like while I wrote this book I was truly living that. I mean, I was, it was just, it was a, the most hectic possible time in my life to be writing, to be taking on a new project, period, much less something that is evidence-backed right. and also has to be, has to go from brain to page. <laughs> so there, you know, there were so, and there were so many unanticipated things that, that went on. I feel like it is, it, it just is sort of the book is almost the proof of like you can come out on the other side and things can kind of readjust or go back to what you previously considered normal or they can just be completely different but you will have adapted with your change in circumstance because our lives are not stagnant you know like we're never going to be in one place for 
for the rest of our lives, emotionally, physically, mentally. So we need to have the information that we need to be able to make those changes. And I, I saw this one, um, I think it was a review of the book, which was very kind, <laughs> but it was, it was really the thing that I really took from it also, which I had never thought of, of mm -hmm. course. I mean, this is like, once you're so close to information like that, you're like, oh, I never saw it that way. That's a good point. But I, I feel like what I'm really proud of about it, about the kind of finished product is that it wound up being something that you could read, soup to nuts, but you could also skim it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important for people to know because there's so many charts that there's things that I have, you know, I've gotten um, like on social media or emails or just message or text messages from friends that are like just pictures of like snippets that they have kept in their phone or like I keep this chart in my phone when I go to the grocery store or whatever it is. I so and I really, really am really proud of that. Like I really feel like that's something that that everyone there's something for everyone in here. Mm -hmm. You can use any of it. You can use all of it. I'd say use all of it, but <laughs> but I feel like there's there's mo there's ways in at various points. So you kind of you know I've found a lot of people going through or skimming through the book and then saying, oh, I'm starting here. Like mm -hmm. when they see the kind of head of a chapter that really speaks to them the most. Yeah. So that's that's been the most exciting part. That's so exciting. That's awesome. It feels like a a real monster, but in the best way. <laughs> Well, now you have it like physically. I know that it's must weird. Be cool. It was extremely weird. It was extremely weird to receive the galley, and then when I got the finished book, I was my my editor had handed it to me, and she mm -hmm. put it in a bag. She was like, "I have the first copy of the baby," and I was like, "Oh my god!" I was avoiding like I put it in the other room. I was like, "Should I go check on it? Like, <laughs> do you think it's breathing? Like, I okay?" Then <laughs> she she sweetly emailed me the next day and was like how did the baby do overnight I was like well haven't looked yet like I was like almost <laughs> like this fear I was like I just want to just I'm afraid but then yeah. I, you know of course like it, it is something that I am so I'm so proud of I I really like I put everything into it but I also at the same time feel like it it is it feels like I have been living and breathing it for so long that there's almost a part of it that feels really natural. Like it feels mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's here. It's just a compilation of, of all the things. Right, right. <laughs> so, so there is a part of it that is like both really momentous and, and super exciting and joyful. And I, I'm very grateful for that, but at the same time, it really does feel natural. And so I, that's, that's easily the best part. Like that this should be what it is. It should be helpful. I hope. And I, I can't wait for you people to read it <laughs> yeah definitely no that's awesome what a cool and also I feel like it's like that it's just like a part of you yes so there are like exactly a lot of your yes. answers not all of your answers obviously but to like really common questions yes that you've gotten from all readers the time over the years, or just like an experience and stuff it's yeah kind of cool that like there's one solid yeah yeah that, that there's a place for it right instead right. of like a bunch of different articles almost it's right like, this is the, the cohesion or like mm -hmm. the things that we don't have time or room to say in other places um, was important to me to get here because mm -hmm. I, you know, especially with really heated topics, like heated, you know, people who are really keen on the keto diet, let's say, I will get very specific questions or like, but what about, and, and that's, you know, I, I said that, I said in the book that most people ask nutrition questions by not asking a question at all. I don't know if you I find that, that yeah. right? 
(laughs) I should be, or I can't, Mm -hmm. or, you know, that that's really how most of them start. But a new one is like people who have a little bit of nutrition knowledge and, or have read a couple of articles and maybe looked at a study abstract and say things like, but what about? And that's what I feel like was was so important for me to hit here versus in articles um, for good housekeeping because we don't we we don't always have time to go into that and we don't always have the space to go into that. Right. So this was more like here is here is the breakdown of why, and I encourage readers who are super bored by that idea to just ignore it, but know that it's in there if you are ever challenged by a boundary bully who is trying to, you know, dispel, extol the benefits of keto to you, that these things are are in here and that any kind of myth that you encounter is probably debunked somewhere in the book. So that is also, consider it your little word weapon. Yeah. (laughs) Before we get into our quick fire questions, as you've written this and in your roles and experience, we talked a lot about information online and social media. Yeah. So how do you see like the way that we get and receive information in nutrition and wellness mm. changing in the future? Oh my God, that's such a good question. I, you know, people underestimate, first of all, that no matter what you, what your current role is, let's say your job is to be involved in social media, which for many of us, you know, that's becoming a part of our jobs, mm-hmm. right? Um, but but for many of us, a lot of what we understand about food, health, and how food impacts our health comes from our upbringing. And there's not always that much that happens to us that can really fundamentally change that for the long term. There, there is, of course, things that pop up over the course of your lifetime. I mean, I have heard so often how college has really impacted someone's relationship with food or inspired them to get into nutrition as a field, um, has brought on both disordered eating behaviors and also, you know, confused because a lot of people come with no background in any way of how to eat and what to eat and when to eat or no sort of, you know, general baseline intuition about when you're hungry versus satisfied versus totally stuffed. You know, there there's a lot of confusion about that. And then when you're living together, you're kind of in this these close quarters of being susceptible to other people's eating habits or judgments or whatever it is. I I think that the that first and foremost we kind of have to get better at understanding our own personal hunger and satiety cues and understanding what we need to do the things that we want to do in a day and how to satisfy ourselves in ways that kind of work for us and then that's where nutrition information can be you know can come in handy in a more impactful and resonating way. And that I think, so I think bottom line, I think that the future is a little bit more of going back to the basics first, Mm -hmm. but, but also with the understanding that the future of, of receiving information is equally powerful 
coming from word of mouth as it is from social media. And like we use the term influencer now, but really it's not a new thing. You know, I mean, there's always been influencers. It's just that now we, now it's a social media influencer. So like mm -hmm. we have to kind of see it that way a little bit more and just see that the, the next evolution could be, we were talking before about telehealth. It can be, you know, we can get information from the right sources, but we have to be choosier about it. And we have to be sort of selective about where we're going to take information from um, and I went into this a lot in the book with the the um, Delbert standard and and like kind of using this legal tool to, mm -hmm. to really like streamline the whole process but I I also think that it's really high time and it's really high time for me because I haven't done it in a while even though I talk about doing it as a more daily practice is the conscious unfollowing of yeah. people that really make us for whatever reason it is to just get rid of the people that make us feel bad about ourselves or make us feel confused about what we know to be right for us yeah def and like making your bubble like positive and yes like science -based yes and exactly and then also like your friends and family like exactly. you mentioned that in the book too and you're kind of right. like curating that Right. Space, but. right. I think that when it comes to making any change that's beneficial for you, there's some degree of resourcefulness that has to go into that, but it doesn't have to be overwhelming or difficult. It just mm -hmm. has to be, you know, oh, my mother-in-law is drinking a green juice. What is the takeaway? <laughs> you know, I mean, if that seems to be something that, that is influencing you or impacting you to, to make changes I mean can you eat those vegetables versus drinking them can you chew them versus drinking like that's the sort of thing that I I kind of walk you through um in dressing on the side because I feel like there's always there can be there's not always a positive takeaway I mean there's oftentimes uh, there's a completely off the reservation takeaway <laughs> but that takeaway then for you still is okay I'm gonna unfollow or I'm gonna just ignore this or whatever it is that, that kind of removes that from your visual sightline and removes that from your vernacular. Because the more we talk about things that we can't do, especially as dietitians, like the more we talk about things we can't do, the more we are, are often seen as food police when right. we're actually we're trying to do the exact opposite is mm -hmm. just get you to eat your meals and snacks and do it regularly and chew versus drink and all of that good stuff. Chew versus take a pill. How about that one? <laughs> That's yeah. another good one. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so to answer your question, <laughs> I, think, I think we're just gonna continue to see the rise of various influencers and they will take different forms right now it's social media influencers are where we place a lot of value but you know this this will change in the future this will continue and the degrees to which we choose to make the investment with our time energy money you know our thought processes with our food choices that that's really up to us so so there's so luckily there's a book that can help you get all of that information ahead of time so that you don't even have to worry about the future. You're gonna make great choices in the future, all of us. It's called Dressing on the Side. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. <laughs> so, going into quick fire questions. Okay, I'm ready. So, what is your favorite type of nut butter? And would it be crunchy or smooth? Oh my God. I mean, we talked about this before because it's such a hard question because there's so many. I love all of them, <laughs> but okay, okay. Plain and simple, mm -hmm. tried and true. Trader Joe's crunchy peanut butter is heaven in a jar. I'm collecting them. 
as I as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> but I think that I also want to give a little shout out to Wild Friends Cinnamon Raisin, Ooh. which is amazing and a delightful little cinnamon. I like anything with cinnamon. So really any cinnamony anything is delicious. That's another really excellent one. But I can't get over. I don't know where Trader Joe's, if you're listening, where are you sourcing those amazing peanuts? Why are they so good? <laughs> why is it just so delicious? I love it because obviously why we both love anything that is as simple ingredients as yeah. possible, but also as delicious as possible. It's like, I just can't seem to find one that really meets the integrity of that Trader Joe's peanut butter. Yeah, and it's so cheap. I don't understand it. I, I just like, want to understand better. Tell us. Worlds. Tell us, Trader Joe's. <laughs> Trader Joe, if you're out there, tell us about your tell us about your nuts. <laughs> Trader, is that you? <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, are you a coffee or matcha person, or neither? I'm a both person. Okay. I'm really into matcha right now, but I I will forever coffee is sort of like my forever love. But I'm really a cappuccino person, if I had Me to too. say. How good is just a just a solid cappuccino? I, I have to say, it's really. I'm gonna get one when I leave <laughs> here. I have to say, like if also, on a on a pro tip kind of note, <laughs> Starbucks really makes a mean cappuccino. Oh, really? And I'm not really like, love you guys, but I'm not really like I'm I'm not really like a Starbucks coffee person. But mm -hmm. the cappuccino is phenomenal. There you go. Tip. <laughs> an additional, an addendum. <laughs> an addendum, right? Um, we could probably talk about wellness trends forever, as we have a little yes. bit. But what is like the most ridiculous one or one that you just are over? You want it to go away? Anything ever on goop ever. <laughs> Anything published on goop mm -hmm. for the most part. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I would I would say that those things and anything that stems from it is is not just irresponsible when it comes to nutrition related recommendations but it's especially irresponsible when you consider the alternatives to what is being proposed to you on these mediums which is affordable nutritious right. and delicious i i find these things to be more insidious than we even think so even if you think that you're often not you might assume you're not a goop reader but mm -hmm. if you've heard of certain trends now a lot of them stem from these types of platforms that are really massive because of celebrity backing but without any substantial science to back it up yeah i think a good example of like influencer like we were talking about yes. before like the reach yes. of that and the broadness that yeah it it's have. so powerful and it's it's so amazing and often i think that the 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 detrimental side of social media in that sense is that because reach can be so powerful and because we've sort of taken the power away from the traditionally famous or traditionally celebrity human being mm -hmm. out there now is kind of like we anyone can be can have a million followers if you're really committed to it right but it's it's also the fact that with that comes a sense of responsibility that often influencers aren't prepared for so you know Goop began before 
I, I think before Instagram was even alive, if not popular, uh, but but the idea that this is accessible to you 24-7 is something that has like really become um, scary to me because we didn't always have access to information in this form. And mm -hmm. so the democratization of all information everywhere at every given moment means that we can always choose to be confused right. or we can choose to just opt out and not think that we need to be someone other than who we are right now in order to make changes to our health. Yeah. And I feel like you can just put like something in your Instagram bio and totally. all of a sudden you're like a health expert totally. and a nutrition coach. <laughs> totally a health coach. Yeah. yeah. I'm seeing that a lot. And I'm seeing that a lot too, which is scary to me because I feel like some dietitians can, you can go through a certification program of becoming a health coach, but the, just like nutritionist and dietitian are mm -hmm. not the same, these two things are not the same. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you may be, as long as you see RD, I feel good, but why are, are you just a health coach and then therefore an authority on a an evidence-backed field? That is a little scary to me sometimes. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> My face right now is like, <laughs> like the, the second I start talking about goop, it's like my shoulders get like tight in my, into yeah, my ears. Right, exactly. Bit. We just hunched over. Both of us have like neck pain now. Yeah. Okay. We're good. We're over it. Um, what is something you're currently obsessed with? It can be like something really specific, like a food product, like a workout, like a word, like anything. Um, We were talking about this before. I am so obsessed with audiobooks and they have changed my entire relationship to like my own personal self-care and and practices related to self-care so I feel like if I can walk anywhere I will so it's sort of like it's, it's really helped me in terms of making like fitness choice so I used to really feel like I would go to classes that I used to really enjoy mm -hmm. with, and I still do sometimes but now for me it's much more fun and enjoyable and like enriching to get super involved in learning something new or or listening to a book or listening to a podcast like this one or being able to um to just kind of disconnect and like zone out for a little while because a lot of a lot of my day is talking and communicating with people it's sort of nice to like sit back and learn something and that mm -hmm. and and but not sit back, <laughs> but right. maybe go for a run and learn something or walk somewhere kind of far and learn something. So one thing I would like to be obsessed with, which I have not done now that it's mid-March, I'm probably a little late for it, is things like gloves and appropriate outerwear. <laughs> So it so so it's self-care on one end because it's like allowed me to take the time that I need to kind of recharge but also get in some physical activity mm -hmm. but it's not self-care in the sense that I need a hat. <laughs> I probably should have done that this winter. <laughs> like earmuffs or right, something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Earmuffs to go over the headphones. Yeah. 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 That would have been a, a very good call. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on right. it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So where can everyone who's listening keep up with you by dressing on the side oh, yes, and stay up, like stay up to date with you? So definitely check out dressingonthesidebook.com. 
And um, that is where you will get all information everywhere about the book itself, but it's also available wherever books are sold and on Amazon, of course. Um, and I would encourage you to go do that right now. It'll be so fun. It's also a pretty green color. It goes nicely with everything and adds a little splash of color everywhere. Why Definitely. not? Um, and for me, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jacqueline London RD. Um, that's J-A-C-L-Y-N, <laughs> L-O-N-D-O-N-R-D. Um, so yeah, so that's Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Cool. But yeah, I, I would, I'm so excited to hear from listeners and readers of the book. So definitely feel free to reach out anytime because I'm always excited to hear from people that have questions or are interested in learning more, anything like that. Awesome. But not from haters. No. <laughs> <laughs> Never from haters, Keep but this was this, exactly. <laughs> but this was so fun, and thank you so much for having me here. And yes. and this was really amazing. And you have an awesome podcast. Awesome, thank you so much, Jackie. Yeah. I'm so glad that we could do this. Me too. And that's all for this week on the Wellfuls Women in Wellness podcast. Thank you so much again to Jackie for being on and for her generous giveaway. So remember to go check that out and enter at the Wellful on Instagram so that you can win a copy of her book and learn even more about her and her awesome writing and work and learn a little bit more about myth busting around nutrition and all of these crazy diet myths that we have. Um, remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really means so much, and it's honestly the best way that you can support this podcast is by sharing it with a friend, sharing a screenshot on Instagram, rating and reviewing. I'm, it's really how people can be able to find new podcasts, so it's been really exciting to see, and I am so appreciative of all of your support so far. So I can't wait for next week's episode, and I hope that you're excited for it too. So Feel free always to reach out to me at The Wellful on Instagram or Brenna at TheWellful.com for email. And let's keep chatting and sharing these awesome stories about women changing the wellness landscape.